0: Another Way to Play, episode 32. Hey, this is Eric Martel, founder of Martel Turnkey. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my good friend, Hans Cruzino.
1: Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9 to 5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is another way to play with your host Hans Struzina. This is another way to play. I am your host Hans Struzina and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is Eric Martel. Uh, He's a friend of mine and a fellow real estate investor who started uh, as an IT consultant, um, but knew that selling hours for dollars uh, would never get him to the true financial freedom he was looking for. He tried a number of businesses, including catering, uh, low-carb grocery store, even uh, creating a sauce company, um, which didn't get him where he wanted. He ended up not losing money, but didn't really make what he was looking for financially as well as a lifestyle. Ultimately, he bounced in and out of real estate, um, finally ended up in it with some of his children um, and has, uh, through the process of identifying markets and and looking for passive cash flow through rentals, um, built up a really profitable and successful uh, turnkey business, which we talk about in this episode, um, in four Midwest markets, uh, even though he lives here in the Bay Area. He has also started investing in some larger apartment syndications as well. Uh, during this conversation, we talk about uh, him being a self-proclaimed starter. Since he was in the fourth grade, uh, he has been always trying to get into new and interesting projects, and, uh, one of which uh, was writing a play uh, based on a book he read at that age. Um, he started a bunch of clubs in high school and then ended up making his first real estate investment with no money down in his second year of college Uh, that led to a bunch of ups and downs, but he talks about uh, in his life, not only constantly learning, but how he sees the risky move as the one uh, where you don't do anything. You, you kind of play it safe and you stay on the sideline for him. Not moving forward is the most risky endeavor of all because of all the opportunity costs that you are going to pass up. So you're going to want to listen to Eric's story because he didn't find real estate investing till later in his career, uh, tried a lot of different things, and ultimately uh, just continued trying until he found the thing that he was really excited about. So let's get into the conversation with Eric. But before we do, remember, I would love to have a conversation with you. And uh, if you go down into the Calendly link in the show notes and get on the calendar with me so we can have a quick chat, get to know one another a little bit better, Um, and I can also learn a little bit about how to make this show even better and more valuable for you. So uh, without any further ado, let's get into the conversation with my good friend, Eric Martel. Eric, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. I'm really glad to have you on.
0: Yeah, my pleasure.
1: We've gone through a little bit of your bio here in the intro, um, but why don't you back up and build a little bit of context and and kind of explain to us, you know, where you're coming from and and how life started for you. Yeah,
0: I think for me, I think uh, so. I've I've been an entrepreneur, I would think, all my life, uh, pretty much. Uh, And by entrepreneur, I kind of like mean it in a in kind of a broader term um that basically starting things. So I've been a starter for a long time. And uh and I think for me like it's um it's it's really started at school. And I know it's kind of it's kinda weird for some people, but uh, and, uh but really for me like as early I can remember as early as the fourth grade that uh, where I I decided like I had read a book um from Disney like Beauty and the Beast or something like that or uh, and then uh, I and then I just talked to my I had an idea. I said hey, I want to do a I want to do a play about that book. So I went to talk to the teacher and I said I want to do uh, a play. And you know she uh, she said what? <laughs> and um, yeah, and then basically we made made that happen. And um, so we did a play, but that, that never happened. Uh to her before that you know a student like uh in fourth grade of elementary school would uh, ask them to do some kind of project like that so that's wow. um yeah that's kind of like that was the beginning really
1: so taken on this big project got it got an inspiration and then and then followed through with it and took took this big leap relative to um starting a starting a project and it sounds like that's been something that you've been doing since the fourth grade yes yeah exactly do you thinking back to that that fourth grade version of yourself like what was the inspiration behind that do you do you remember anything specific
0: well i just really liked the book uh and to be honest i think i really liked one of the 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 story and stuff like that and i think i also Mm -hmm. really liked one of the girls and i (laughs) and then i think i said you know uh because when when the um The casting came about i said hey i want to be this person and then i want this person to be this other play this other role so uh but you know i was very young uh,
1: got it so there there was a little bit of a a a a relationship matchmaking component here as well yeah i think i think a little bit nothing happened of that
0: relationship by the way but yeah i think there was i think there was some some of that going on
1: got it well you know, whatever, whatever gets the ship uh, rocket (laughs) off the ground, as they say, right? Yeah, motivation from somewhere. So you since you've been a young person, you've been interested in kind of larger projects, and clearly as a fourth grader, pretty ambitious, but um, did that carry through the rest of your your youth and through school and, and into college and all that other stuff?
0: yeah and that that really kind of like shaped my thinking about you know getting things done and and being able to do things uh you know that in 6th grade i had a similar situation where i basically saw an opportunity for me to to clean up uh a room that was full of books and I just asked the uh, the the principal of the school say can we do that and you know he said yeah and basically throughout my life it's been it's been kind of like that even in high school um you know like I started a number of uh I know it's gonna sound kind of maybe geeky but uh or nerdish but uh <laughs> I started a bunch of clubs to uh to do certain things. I did an investment club, I did uh I even had like asked um, to to do some chemical experiments. I I really liked chemistry at the time, and then um, so I just asked our chemistry professor that, "Hey, I'd like to do uh, some chemical experiment at lunch. And is it okay if we we do these? And you know, and then I basically had to tell them exactly the experiments we wanted to do, blah blah blah, and then Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what we would get out of it. But yeah, I mean, nobody really ever said no um to any of my project and maybe I was just lucky in the um the environment that I grew up in and the teachers that I had That then I always felt very supportive in all all my ideas and um so that's why it's kind of built my my philosophy and kind of like how um you know how I act on ideas that I have like I know that it can be done I just have to figure out how to do it and you know and I know that you know, people are going to support me. So that's kind of my mentality and my, uh, what gives me the, the drive to do things differently.
1: That's well, interesting that you've encountered such um, supportive uh, interactions and feedback with, with mm-hmm. others. Because I was going to ask you, like, what was, what was the first major project you undertook that then hit a big roadblock? And then what did you do about it? Um, and maybe that didn't come till later.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that came a little bit later and that, uh, and that's when, uh, in second year of university, uh, that's my first real estate investment really, uh, where mm-hmm. I had a lot of people say <laughs> banks, <laughs> namely say mm-hmm. no. And a lot of, uh, a lot of people started saying no to me. Uh, and I was, that was kind of strange, but I persevered. And I had a mentor at the time that basically said, Oh, yeah, just keep trying, you know, just like, um, I was looking for uh, an income-generating uh, opportunity, a, a multifamily, where I, I had no money at the time. I was in second year of university, so you can imagine that I wasn't mm-hmm. uh, very uh, wealthy. Um, and um, I wanted some, so something no money down, something that was pos- with positive cash flow, and um, you know. And I, I looked through like um, binders of uh, MLS listings and all of that, and Basically yeah. narrowed it down to a couple. and uh, But at the beginning, yeah, it was, it was hard. Before even finding the realtor that was willing to work with me uh, was difficult because most of them would say, well, what you're asking for is, doesn't exist. It's, it's not possible. And, uh, yeah, that's true. That's, it's not possible 99% of the time. But there was mm-hmm. I was able to find like two or three opportunities after weeks, weeks of uh, going through uh, these binders of NLS. Um, and then you know, basically, one of them, one of the, uh, I was able to buy one of those properties, uh, no money down, and with like a three hundred dollar uh, positive cash flow a month. Wow! Um, an H building. Where was that property? That was in Trois Rivières, Tree River, uh, in uh, near Montreal, about forty-five minutes north of Montreal.
1: So it was outside of a major, out of the major city, and. Um, uh, yeah. but it, like, I mean, may, maybe I'm so in, intrigued with the specifics of the deal cause I'm in <laughs> real estate, but I think some of the guests are like, wait a second, you're a, uh, second year college student or third year college student, mm-hmm. no money. And you okay. got this crazy idea to invest in some apartment buildings or some yeah. real estate units. Like, let's, let's start there. Where did that idea come from?
0: Well, there was a lot. There was a lot of things going on in uh, in the news about hey, buy you know real estate, no money down, and all of that. And I said, okay, well, you know, maybe this and that whole idea of doing real estate investment with if I I didn't have any money, so I I thought, okay, maybe I can do something like that and make money that way. And um, yeah, so that's kind of how it got started. And I was looking at different rental properties, and really the the one that when i looked through i looked at single family i looked at multi family and all of that and then really there was the one that um that worked number wise uh were like multi families but about like uh, 6 to uh to 10 units that's the one that worked and um yeah i ended up making an offer
1: on that and, but yeah and so you're you're thinking like, hey, I'm, I'm, hey, I'm someone who has no money, and maybe I can get into real estate to to produce some positive cash flow, and boom, that's sort of how it started for you. Nothing more romantic than that.
0: Well, there was a drive. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur, so there was a drive to do to do a business to to generate some income for myself, uh, and then um, you know, just uh, I, I, I like that. I, that's what I want to do. I wanna I always wanted to do. Um, at a very young age to to do a business. And uh, so that said, okay, well, me, that's the business that I can do. I can get started right now. And I had, uh, I was introduced to a a mentor at that time. So Mm -hmm. that was a real estate investor. And, um, you know, he was, um, he was great. And he basically showed me uh, the ropes and showed me what to look for and all of that. So that, that also inspired me to kind of, to, uh, and, or directed me to, what would work and why, why real estate investment was a, was a great investment compared to other ones. And that's, I'm sure that, uh, that helped kind of like solidify where I totally.
1: want to So at that moment, you're a college kid, you own this multifamily building outside of Montreal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's positively cash flowing and I'm imagining you're feeling pretty good at that moment. Uh, talk us through talk us through that and like how how that if it did kind of alter your trajectory
0: yeah so that uh that was really great and empowering because i said okay well this is something that i i did uh by myself pretty much and i was able to buy this huge piece of property and eight units for me was pretty big and then uh i thought okay well this is this is great and um that really kind of inspired me to kind of look, look for more things and and look for more, uh, more ideas. But it was kind of, it was not just, it was not just great news because uh, Mm -hmm. one of the things that, uh, that I didn't do is uh, I didn't have property management. So I became the property manager for that, uh, for that property. And that basically um, kind of, um, I was diluted my enthusiasm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know and uh, basically i had to go there like the weekends and then fix windows and fix doors and do plumbings or you know um so again i didn't have that much money i was relying on that 300 dollars a month to come in and um uh, you know if i had to go and buy like a, or hire like a plumber to fix things and stuff like that then my cash flow would be zero at that point so yep so yeah, so that was kind of like, I, it was kind of uh, like a diluted enthusiasm and then I, I had to be, still look for a, a job. I still had to work in order yep. to kind of like uh, make sure that I was able to, um, to cover both things. Totally. Um, and eventually I moved to, uh, to Toronto uh, as an actuary. I was studying actuarial science and then uh, I got a call basically for somebody to offload that, uh, to basically buy that property and um, so i made a small profit at that point and then that person was local so he was willing to do all the repairs and all of that Mm -hmm. but that made it a little bit easier
1: so wow so you you kind of hit the nail on the head you got a cash flowing property you self you had to self-manage of course but then uh, you, you even made a profit selling it yeah um that's a pretty fantastic way to start on your first deal. And I I imagine between that and then all the work you're doing with your mentor uh, that really sort of catapulted you in a direction of at least doing that on the side as you Mm -hmm. were running your main job.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was uh, trying to do in, when I was in Toronto Um, I had at that point I had a pretty good salary and I said, okay, well let's, let's look for properties, but then the properties were too expensive and then I couldn't find really the deal. So I was really looking for deals and I the same roadblocks that I had in the past, I, I had there. Mm-hmm. Then I got married. And then, um, so we wanted to have a house. And that, um, so we said, okay, well, well, do a house, but we we'll do a house hack. Yep. So we'll have a tenant in the basement. So we finished the basement and had a tenant in there for a couple of years. That allowed us to buy a house in, uh, in Toronto. And I think the interest rate was like, Sixteen percent interest rate.
1: Oh my gosh! Yeah, it was insane. <laughs> it was insane. People but would riot in the street if, <laughs> if we were back at sixteen percent interest rate. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, we we managed. I mean, it was uh, that's why the tenant was really helpful. Uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, to, to cover the some of the costs, but uh, the small small house and yeah, and it's uh, eventually we sold that, and I had kind of like uh, that. Point. I was involved with uh, a smaller a, a company that had um, gone IPO, mm-hmm. and um, so then I decided to work with them, and then kind of like, uh, you know, get some stock options and and do that kind of stuff. Yeah, and um, so to get involved in the technology and the uh, and basically build the professional services with them.
1: So, you're, so you had this house hack, you sold it, and then, and then it sounds like you went more into your full-time job as opposed to doubling down on the real estate at that time.
0: That's right, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was difficult. You know, at 16% interest rate, it was kind of uh, hard to find any um, deals, but eventually, obviously, the rates went down. Yep. But Toronto was, uh, became a very hot market. Um, you know, similar to, uh, you know, San Francisco and LA. So it's kind of hard to find, find deals, uh, yep. that, uh, that kind of, um uh, makes sense. And again, I was not too hot on, on the passive income because I, I was kind of, uh, you know, my experience with the eight unit was not that great. And then mm-hmm. my experience mm-hmm. in house hacking was not that great either um you know the tenant basically i had to evict the tenant oh no point and all of that and so you know so it was kind of like it was difficult it was not like oh yeah this is uh this is easy easy going, and our oh, real estate is so fantastic no there's never any problems i had plenty of problems <laughs> and, right um you know, so that's why I was a little bit, I uh, was probably a little bit careful about kind of where, where I was investing and uh, making sure that it worked and uh, yep. you know, so, so that's why I was kind of keeping an eye on the real estate side, but really I've, at that point I was focusing more on the, on the, on the job and working and then getting things, uh, getting things moving on that side. And.
1: In- I just want to take a moment and sort of acknowledge your, your journey up into this point. I mean, anyone who's considering, who has ever considered real estate as an investment, has inevitably run into somebody who's talking about a two AM toilet leak or an eviction yeah. or some horror story as yeah. a reason not to do it. Yeah. And those things are su- are definitely real. You know, I have tenants. You have tenants. Like those are real issues that you have to address. However, that doesn't necessarily mean you that's the reason not to not to get involved yeah so exactly you,
0: i mean there are ways to solve these problems and for me is to have property management in place so this is one yeah. of my you know i wouldn't buy a piece of property now even though if it was uh, the the corner of this uh of this street here yeah uh, i i would get property management i don't even i don't even want the tenants to know who i am yeah um You know even the properties that we have now i mean if i walk the property i'm not the owner i'm the insurance guy or i'm the inspector or something like that
1: got it and and i think that that goes to a bigger conversation just around any sort of investment is like number 1 is like the first move you make in a space that's new to you whether you're going out on your own in a business or you're investing in real estate like that move is never going to make you rich is never going to be the final move either like mm-hmm. it's all going to be a learning process and, a, and an education as well as you know hopefully make you some money through cash flow or profits yeah. or whatever but like that first step is, is or that first property that first deal is never the one that you retire on yeah i suppose, yeah, exactly. i mean Maybe there's 00001 percent that it's that it's the best deal ever, and you win the lotto or something mm-hmm. but um, but there's an education component and a, and a trial and error component that's in this story that I think is really important to point yeah. out, and more importantly it's like you just got started like you you just dove in, you did presumably some due diligence, but you you dove in, you got your hands dirty, and you learned not only what you were looking for, but also what you didn't want, which was Mm -hmm. the tenant side of it. So you're like, get smart, get a property manager. Problem solved in theory. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could talk all day about property managers, but we don't need to go into it on this, on this episode. But so you had, you're at this point, you're, you're, you're focused in on your tech um, career. Uh, What, then like tell, talk to us about your transition from that and into what you're doing currently because it's, you know, yeah. you weren't in the rental side and now yeah. you are like you're in a very different space than you were at that moment. So, so mm-hmm. what was that transition like and how did that come about?
0: Yeah, so that, uh, yeah. And I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head here because I think if there's something in my story, it's about trying. <laughs> Uh, i've tried and i continue to try all kinds of different things and um so even um you know so we talked about a lot of the projects that i did when you know since fourth grade i always tried and and did something and then started something and, and see where that lead me that led me um so real estate the the multifamily in trois rivières was one i mean the house hacking i tried that uh And then even in Toronto, like, you know, I started a, uh, I went as an independent consultant. I worked as a consulting actuary. Then I went as an independent consultant because technology was starting to, to pop up. And I said, Oh, I really have to go on technology and then start, uh, you know, building programs and consulting people on technology. And then, so I went independent consultant for a while. Then, um, then I joined uh, a company that's a, a customer relationship management company, built the professional services there, transferred to California with them uh, and the whole family. And then, um, so I had a bunch of stock options at that time. And um, then I said, okay, well, that we're going to invest in real estate. So, then I was back on the real estate. Let's look for real estate again in San Francisco. mm mm-hmm. And, um, and there was a couple of things there too, like, like I had, I had money in stock options, but I didn't want to, uh, like, I didn't want to just take it out. I had, I was new to the uh, American tax system and I was afraid of what would happen. And I, I, we arrived here in 2000. So, um, so I was looking for a way to invest that money in real estate and i talked to realtors i talked to real estate investor and all of that and they were telling me oh yeah you have to go to uh, you know fresno or you have to go here or you have to go out in order to find properties that are cash flowing and that have a good return and um and then i had i still had in my mind when it said fresno or outside of the bay area i still had in my mind my experience my eight unit yep. property management and i say oh i don't want to do that again i don't want to have to drive three hours um you know to, to fix a toilet or uh, you know or having to call a plumber to go there and you know do all that so i didn't, I didn't want to do that i hadn't really queued in on the uh on the benefits of property management yep
1: interesting um, so you've gone all this time and, and you hadn't figured out that the, you could just hire someone to do that stuff
0: lot, yeah yeah because a lot some of the people that I talked to like the real estate investor they were basically they were doing their own they were contractors and and they would, mm. they would do their own uh, repairs and um, so they didn't need a property manager so I said okay well I don't know and uh, so nobody ever said oh yeah you need to go for a property. To do uh, to get a property manager to do that and um,
1: got it. I kind of
0: like okay. Well, I kept looking, but then 2001 happened the uh, the dot com bubble burst. Yep. And then you know, and then my basically my stock options were uh, you know the, the the value was significantly reduced at that point. And then we say okay, well let's just get out of that and buy a house. <laughs> just okay. For- and then um so that's kind of what we what we did but in the meantime i was still looking for you know passive income how do we do passive income and then uh, eventually i got when i got my green card i was able to start a company here and uh, so we did we did a couple of different uh, businesses Uh, we did um, um, some catering businesses on the side you know i was still working for different uh, companies doing uh, independent consulting at that point. Uh, we also did a, a gourmet sauce business. I saw that, you know, that'd be great because we can, uh, that would be passive income. We just put it in the store. People would buy it. And then we have a co-packer that would produce the sauce. And uh-huh. then, you know, um, I, you know, so that's the kind of thing. That didn't didn't work out as well as we, uh, we had hoped. And then we did that for about five years.' Um, it's a great great adventure and learning mm-hmm. experience. Uh, we also did uh, well my wife did a uh, low carb grocery store and then did that for a couple of years and then Atkins died, so that kind of like yeah, yeah, <laughs> business went sideways. But the thing is that, and I think that's um again like you know uh it's it's all about trying so i've been trying and trying and trying to do different things um and i am i'm not mentioning all of them obviously but uh but in all these adventures uh and all these trials i haven't lost money Uh, so i've gained a lot of experience uh i've broke even plenty of times uh, but i've never lost money um, but I've also never made a lot of money, uh, either. So, yeah, so that's kind of, a, at that point, you know, my kids have grown up and then, uh, and they've, they've worked in some of these businesses. I mean, they've, uh, yep. you know, they, they've seen how it was and they've seen how it is. And then I think if there's one thing I probably instill in them, the, the fact that, Hey, you know, you can, business is great. You can try it. You have to take calculated risk. And then, um, You know, if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, then you try again. You try something else. You pivot. You you adjust, and then um, you eventually you're going to find something that's going to work.
1: Completely, completely agree. And that's, I'm glad you brought that up. With without losing money, and then the lessons that you taught your kids, because. You know the the calculated risk is so crucial. Like there's a there's a minimum sort of education component that you have to be willing to undertake, and mm-hmm. you know sometimes that's on the job training, and hopefully it's also including some upfront due diligence of educating yourself about you know running a grocery store, or starting a sauce business, or investing yeah. in real estate. Like having something on the front end so you have a basic level of knowledge and not just jumping in and saying ah oh, figure it out yeah. because you know, there I guess there's some value to that, but I would say most people would have a really negative experience with some with a strategy like that and then never get back into any yeah. sort of out-of-the-box investing ever again. So having that experience is is crucial. Did you as well have mentors or, or business partners that helped you through some of those ventures or, or was this all stuff you did on your own? So this was pretty
0: much all stuff I did on my own at that point. Um, we had, um, yeah, I mean, we would just talk to customer. We did catering, and then we, we said, okay, well, the next step after that, after catering was uh, get our own, get a restaurant or get something in that that lane. Mm-hmm. And then I had, I had investment criteria. Like I, I didn't want, for me, I wanted to have passive income. Mm -hmm. I wanted the business to be able to be run anywhere. Um, So I didn't want to be stuck to one location. Yeah. So that, that was kind of like the, the, basically me being able to generate the the revenue, not being tied to my hours. Mm. Uh, That was basically passive income. Right. So these are are criteria. And then, you know, there's no point in having, you know, passive income if you have to be, involved in the business and stay in one location i want to be able to travel and do things yeah uh, when i want and um so that basically eliminated the the restaurant business because you're definitely tied to a location for a very long time uh you have to you know work very long hours and uh, i'm not lazy but i'd like to reduce the number of hours that i work
1: yep i can
0: so um yeah, so that's kind of uh, the idea there. Uh, so that got eliminated. That's when we went into the, the sauce business because they said, well, you know, some people really like some of the sauces that we had created and that mm-hmm. we were making. So we said, oh, maybe that's a good idea. Then we can do that. And, uh, and the, but I didn't want to make the sauce. That's uh, so why I, I hired a co-packer and then worked with them on how to, how to uh, produce the sauce. Mm-hmm. And um, blah blah blah. And the idea was that hey, we could travel anywhere in the world, and then you know, being able to generate orders, having truck deliver and distributor um, distribute the sauce to different stores yep. and all that. So, yeah. So that was the idea there. But um, and I think that in terms of going back to risk, I think I think there's an inherent risk also in just not doing anything. And I think people are mm-hmm. are. Um, are kind of like ignoring that. Like if you have a job that doesn't have um, a good re- defined benefit retirement plan and then you don't have that much money saved up and then you don't have, uh, uh, you know, how are you planning to retire and how are you, you know, what if you get sick or what if something happens? How are you going to generate, have uh, the revenue that you need to to survive and not be a burden to other people? Mm-hmm. And I think that's um, people kind of, a lot of people, I mean, they're they're just ignoring that risk, and I think that's this is a, something that's very important to me. And um, this is kind of why I'm I'm talking to a lot of people and I say, well, you know, you need to do something. You know, you can't just wait till that retirement to figure out how you're going to retire. You have to start planning now and really think about it.
1: Completely. Yeah. Yeah, and you you're totally right because people talk about risks of starting a business or getting into real estate or whatever and they and they call that the risky option. Yeah. And I think, you know, folks like you and me like I uh, I see sitting around and doing nothing or taking that money and and buying, you know, a car or whatever as mm-hmm. that's the way more risky situation like yeah. as opposed to buying income property or, you know, doing something, you know, that can that can put that money to work for you and, and leverage your time and all that, like that, like wow. sitting around doing nothing is the risk to me. And, and I think a lot more people are starting to recognize that hopefully, um, through conversations like this one and others that yeah. are being had out there.
0: Yeah. yeah I'm ho- I'm hoping. And I think, yeah, I mean, real estate is definitely an excellent uh, vehicle. Uh, but yeah. So eventually, uh, one of my son, as they're growing up and, um, he came to me and he said oh, he was re- he was interested in doing real estate. I said, oh, do you want to be a realtor in the Bay Area and stuff like that. And he said, no, I want to do real estate investment. And he had seen one of those things on TV uh, or in the radio about some kind of seminar and all that. And, mm-hmm. I said, and then I was kind of like, so all right, there we go again. We're gonna go, <laughs> gonna go back to real estate now. And um, so it was kind of funny. So I went, I went with him to uh, the. Uh, that that first uh, seminar webinar seminar yeah and then um so it was pretty interesting and then he was he was very interested he said yeah yeah i really like that 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 makes sense to me i want to do something like that then we went to do the next step and to uh and it was a three day seminar that, and then we uh, we had to spend a little bit of money on that one and then um so he he was still you know very happy and you know he still wanted to do that and i thought okay well um and he was studying, like, real estate at, uh, at the community college here, College of San Mateo. And uh, mm-hmm. so I said, okay. So then we'd spend the, the big bucks. So I said, well, you know, this is, like, this is your college fund now. If you're spending that kind of money on, uh, on, this, uh, on this training, on this package, then, you know, this is, this is going to be You're going to have to make it work. And, um, yeah, so that's, he spent, we spent a lot of time on that. He spent a lot of time on that, getting all the, all the training and all of that. And that was a, that was a good, uh, investment. I think for us is to kind of like get on, on the same page and then get on the, uh, you know, having the same process, the same, uh, understanding of, uh, of the investment of the real estate investment, um, kind of world. Um, my, other son was uh, finishing up um, his entrepreneurship uh, degree at uh, mm-hmm. LMU and uh, Loyola Marymount. And mm-hmm. um, so he was kind of like, Hey, what are you guys doing? <laughs> what is this? You know? So then he started being interested in um, in that as well, but he, he was not, uh, he was still at school, so he couldn't really do much. So it was really my son and I, and, um, so we kind of followed the program and, uh, you know, tried to do the, the typical wholesaling and flips and, you know, uh, all, all the, um, and again, you know, this is kind of like what had, uh, my, my training so far had been about trying and pivoting yep, and adjusting. And, uh, this was no different. So, I mean, we try, uh, wholesaling, we, uh, you know, and did all kinds of spend tons of money on uh direct marketing campaign and you know, getting some a few phone calls and mm-hmm. you know, that were really not the right things, and you know, trying to do some flips and all of that. And and we realized that the market was, uh, was pretty hot and it was very hard to get a deal. Uh, everybody was pretty much on the, um, uh, you know, uh, if there was no uh, secret deals to be had, you know, everybody knew about it, and even somebody that, um, wanted to sell their house uh, they knew that the market was uh, was hot so they, they right. wouldn't go and go for a bargain uh, bargain price when they know that they could they could get it they could get like a 20 offers on their house yep so um, so yeah so We kind of like, then we start start to adjust. We say, well, you know, our returns are not that good because of the holding cost, because we don't have a a realtor, because we don't have contractors. And so we kind of uh, tried to build a team that would kind of like make all benefit as a team. And then we would find a deal. We would organize certain things and all of that. And then a contractor would come in and all of that. And Mm -hmm. uh, basically, as a team, we would make, uh, everybody would be compensated somehow. Yep um the re- and then we uh so we put some offers uh under that premise and um yeah i mean it the, the things were just <laughs> outrageous i mean we put an off like there was one house that was uh, on a gut job that means that you have to basically remove all the inside there was a roof in the a, a hole in the roof uh there was mold everywhere and all of that oh my god on the market for 750 in um in San Francisco and we put an offer for 1.2 and uh, it sold for 1.4 to another investor. Wow. So I was like, okay, that was the turning point. They say, okay, (laughs) this is it. Yeah. Even at at 1.2, our return was like, uh, I think it was like six, six or 7% cash. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Like,
1: just for context, most flippers are, are looking for a minimum return of about 10% and mm-hmm. more likely 15 to 20% to, to have a healthy margin in case something happens or a contingency comes up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it was uh, like, yeah, And it was $1.2 million for the, of course, you had to get some financing. So you had to get right. some cash for down payment. So let's say $250,000, $300,000. Then at least half a million for the, uh, for the rehab, I think that's kind of what we. So you yeah. you have to get like seven fifty cash, or get a lender to basically uh, lend you some of that or all of that. Yeah, you know, you end up into that situation now that's you know it's just ridiculous. You have a lot of money at risk.
1: Not to mention how leveraged you are and like you know, in a very luxury space because you're buying it at one, two, you're into it another, you know, yeah. five, 600 after holding costs and transaction fees. And, you know, you need to sell that thing darn near close to $2 million, And that's yeah. a, that's a different animal as far as um, the buying pool and the, and the time on the market and all that stuff, yeah. even in San Francisco. Yeah,
0: exactly. So then so we, uh...
1: you have, so you had this, this, flip that you thought was maybe going to work but you're kind of desperate for the deal and then someone beats you by 200k on it and you're like yeah. enough is enough and now That's it right. sounds like there's a pivot coming so tell, tell us about <laughs> that.
0: So then we thought okay well maybe we want to do uh, we had some contact I think my my son at LMU had done an internship with a commercial uh, real estate investor and mm-hmm. real estate investment is kind of like a, it's a completely different animal And um, and I was kind of more I understood that side a little bit more because of the, uh, the multifamilies that I had and my yep. mentor was a multifamily and commercial guy. So all the numbers and all of that, I understood the commercial side a little bit better. And um, yeah, so then we saw, okay, well w- we talked to that, uh, the commercial real estate guy that my son was uh, doing his internship with and we say, okay, well maybe we can find, you know, something here in the Bay area. And um and then, so yeah, so we had a, a property under, under contract for, uh, for uh, a while, for probably six months or a year where we were trying to uh, get, get something going, you know, and basically it came, so it was, it was a great project. We had a, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, good ideas for the commercial project and that would definitely have made money if we would have had the, the right uh, financial partner. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of what, what killed the deal at that point is that we, we couldn't find the right financial partner to come in. But uh, it really uh, told us that, you know, the, the, on the commercial side and the commercial space, there is, um, you know, when you, you have something that the 4% uh, percent cap rate, um, that if you do any kind of value added, forced appreciation on these markets, I mean, you're really mm-hmm. driving a lot of value. You're really yep. creating a lot of value. And this is where you can make, you can make a lot of money. Absolutely. On the residential side, you're kind of stuck on, on comparable sales when you're looking at adding value. If the whole neighborhood is going at the same, same pace and increasing in value and doing rehab, then you yep. should be fine. But if you don't have the right comparable sales, then you know, you're not going to be valued correctly.
1: Or even if you just get an appraiser who's, Pulling low comps, or who yeah. knows? There's uh, so many different reasons why that could that could go wrong on an investment yeah. side of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got this thing under contract for six to twelve months. Yeah. You it didn't work out, but you but a light bulb clicked. Um, yeah. Is that the moment when you decided to start looking at a state, or was there something else that happened there?
0: So at that point, we thought uh, we we kind of looked at different. I, I'm gonna we kind of looked at different ideas and all of that, but then we, uh, we kind of honed in on, on passive income. So going back to passive income, um, again, the market was, uh, we kind of looked at some of the issues with, uh, with flippers, the people that just flip the properties, where they, there's, a, there's a risk that, because the market was getting soft and uh, we didn't know exactly where the real estate uh, market would go. We don't think there's going to be a crash, but we think there might be a little bit of an adjustment downward. So we thought, well, I don't want to be like uh, in a building for a you know, million dollars and all of a sudden I can only sell it for 900. You know? So I don't want to lose yep. money or I can only sell it at cost. You know? So that's, that doesn't make sense. Yep. So that's why we thought in order to mitigate our risk, we thought, well, let's invest in, um, in passive income. And then we knew we couldn't invest in passive income here because the numbers didn't pencil out uh, and then we started really uh thinking more strategically about uh, kind of what is a good market um so we started looking at different cities across the u.s and then uh, knowing that you know we're gonna have to build a team in whatever city we decide to go uh and invest in we're gonna have to build a team around that mm-hmm. you know uh, so we looked at uh, cities that were growing, but not growing super fast, uh, that were growing at one or 2%. Uh, that was a growth in population or fairly stable in population. There was low unemployment. Um, and then so that was kind of like the, the baseline and also a, a, some business diversification. We didn't want to be in a in a kind of like a, a city like uh, like Detroit where you know that it's very huge towards the automotive industry mm-hmm.
1: um
0: i know some people are investing in detroit and that's fine they have a they, they have a plan they have a different plan than ours so that's you know it works for them yeah uh, but for us we're looking for some from business diversification especially in the healthcare sector and um mm-hmm. you know fedex or high tech uh, that kind of stuff so yep FedEx or up is something that helps shipping or amazon or something like that so um yeah. So then we hit, uh, basically Memphis was, uh, the first market. We had a couple of markets that we were very interested in and then Memphis was one of them. And this is the first one we, we invested in. So again, passive income, we wanted to do, uh, you know, we talked about calculated risk earlier. So we mm-hmm. did one single family uh, house in Memphis. Uh, I think we paid like uh, forty thousand dollars, put twenty thousand in, uh, dollars in rehab, and then we were able to rent it for seven fifty. That's I great. I should have said before that after I didn't find the uh, the city, we also built a team, right? So we mm-hmm. talked to tons of realtors and then and property managers and all of that, and really vetted them to make sure that they could uh, they could support us moving forward. Um, and that was that first house was really the trial of the team and the process because uh, we didn't buy we didn't even see the house when we bought it. Yep. Um, But you know, coming from California, you look at forty thousand dollars. It's like okay, if, everything, yeah. if things go wrong, okay, well I I've lost forty thousand dollars or I've lost sixty thousand dollars. So, but the right. Uh,
1: well, especially if it's it's cash flowing at, you know, 1% at the 1% rule or more. And, you know, for those of you who don't know, you know, whatever the rent is, um, if it's 1% of the total purchase price plus the rehab costs, you're, you're at that 1% rule. And that's kind of a rule of thumb that a lot of cash flow investors use. And uh-huh. you're hitting at least that, um, yeah. depending on, you know, in, in that situation so it's like worst case scenario you you break even or you have a pretty decent rental um that's covering itself at a minimum
0: yeah exactly so so that was really the first uh the first test that we did and uh that went very very well um i mean these are the things that you know we wouldn't have been able to do like you know 10 years or even 20 years down uh like even 10 years like when we arrived here in like in 2000, yeah, it was the digital signature didn't happen. There was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the camera phone and all of that. It was, it was, I think it was there, but it was not to the extent that it is today. So
1: totally. now we're
0: able to, you know, text and uh, send pictures and videos of the walkthrough of a property and all of that digital signature, all the mm-hmm. electronic payment methods and all of that. Um, so, yeah, was, so yeah, go ahead.
1: F- from that first $40,000 house, you're in at 60,000 with your rehab and, um, and because you've built this team, most importantly, you're like, okay, we have a proof of concept and we're able to scale that. Um, and then, and then that turned into, uh, uh a turnkey operation for you, correct. And, and yep. which has continued to scale, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah. So like in 20 years, uh, like when we
0: arrived in uh, California, I mean, we, you know, we didn't even look at out of state, but now because of what, what was going on, we were able to actually entertain out of state opportunities without mm-hmm. having to fly there. And, um, uh, so that pro- project went very well and really, uh, gelled jailed the team. And then we, so then we, after that, we decided to do two more, uh, properties, and that went very well as well. Um, you know, the, the turnaround was also uh, pretty good. We were able to do these uh, projects like, uh, from acquisition all the way to, uh, to finding a tenant uh, in, uh, you know, three months, three to four oh, months. Oh, wow. So that was, that was pretty quick. Then we did a refinance. Um, so that's kind of where I had some uh some issues because I had like some weird, I don't have like a straight W-2 uh income. I was doing like a lot of consulting and all of that. Right. And and uh, so yeah, so the the banks don't they don't really they didn't really like my uh my uh my income statement or my yep. W I didn't have W-2s, they didn't like my uh IRS uh you know, so they there's a lot of things they didn't like. So we had a problem. So I, I basically was able to get like a commercial loan, though, and um, be able to do a portfolio, portfolio loan on that, on the four of the properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still have these four properties today. But um, then after that, that's kind of, uh, but because I was unable to get like, uh, like loans, then I said, well, I need to get, we need to get. Uh, where do we get the money? Like, where are we going to get the the rest of the funds for uh, to grow passive income empire? And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so, you know, one one way was basically to start looking at at selling these um, these turnkey rentals uh, to investors. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, so that's what we we kind of started doing. There was already a lot of people that uh, a lot of our friends and a lot of people that we knew were interested to know what we were doing and um they're always interested you know because we always have these uh projects or these side projects people are always uh interested in that yep and, um so yeah so we kind of uh we talked about that and some of them wanted to invest with us and buy some of these turnkey uh, rentals and we said well you know let's let's keep working on that let's keep building that and uh so that's where that turnkey rental has been uh you know how we've built that turnkey rental
1: and, we and did, real uh, quick just For those of you who don't understand the concept of turnkey rentals, um, you know, Eric and his team will find a property, uh, you know, you'll, uh, I guess the model can be different, but generally speaking, either they'll buy it, fix it up and sell it to you, um, and then manage it and put a tenant in place or you'll buy it with them and then they'll fix it up, put a tenant in place, manage it. Like there's a couple of different ways to kind mm-hmm. of accomplish this, but it's it's basically okay. taking advantage of the team that they've put in place on the process and the contractors and the property managers and all that stuff to your benefit and you and you take advantage of buying a, a, a fixed up rental property that's that's got cash flow on it.
0: Yep, exactly. So for us, our model is really that we, we buy the distressed properties, we rehab them, rent them out, and then we sell them to turnkey uh, investors. So when the turnkey investor buys the property, they, they own the property after that, we refer them to our uh, a property management company. Um, that's a, a third party, party management company. It's the same one that we use for our own uh, properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when they buy that property, it, there's a tenant in place with a brand, brand new lease uh, on, um, on their hands. So they know it's cash flowing. They know how much it is. And, um, and the other thing, too, that we do that not many uh, turnkey uh, providers do is that when uh, we sell a property, typically our investors, they're going to go and, uh, and get a loan from a bank. So we refer them to a bank that we work with. Uh, on a regular basis there's an appraisal that uh, that the bank uh, does uh, if the uh, the value of the property or the purchase price of the property does is uh, higher than the appraisal price mm-hmm. uh, then we would often reduce the price to um, to match the appraisal value uh, wow. so that's something that we do uh, and not many people not many turnkey providers do that uh, yeah so- Typically, they would ask you to dish out some more money, but then that affects your returns, that affects your, you know, your cash on cash returns and all of that.
1: Totally. Well,
0: yeah. So we feel that the turnkey, as a turnkey provider, I mean, we're the expert in that market. We should know what the value of, uh, of the property is um, when we sell it to you.
1: Absolutely. So,
0: yeah. Every once in a while you go, you get a bad appraiser though. So that's... Yep. We'll talk about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, a a great you know show of good faith and a great value add to somebody to know that you know you're just as a business practice mm-hmm. got their back and you're and you're looking out for for their bottom line just like you're looking out for theirs or yours. Yeah. I mean, well,
0: because really, I mean, we're not selling we're not selling a house. I mean, we're selling a cash flow, a stream of a stream of income. Right. So when the, uh, that's how we see it. Um, so when we're saying that you, you know, you're going to make 15% cash on cash return um, after financing. So this is kind of, you know, we want to hit that number. And yep. uh, if we ask you to put more money in and the price is higher, then
1: we're, we're not selling you the, same, the same product or the same investment. Eric, this is, I mean, this is really great. You've had a, an unbelievable journey to get to this point. And I love all the ups and downs that you've shared with us so far. I know you are a busy person. and want to respect your time. So with that, I'm going to um, transition us to the last section of the show here, um, get a little bit more information about you in, in in the focus five, which is the same five questions I ask everyone on every show. I'm mm-hmm. definitely excited to hear your answers. Are you ready? Okay. Real quick, uh, first question is, what book have you gifted most often?
0: A book that I have gifted most often? Um, I think, I didn't see that question. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say, um, I, I don't know. Can we skip on that one? <laughs> Abso- not a problem. Um, if you could get uh, an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? I would think,
0: uh, I really like uh, Warren Buffett. I think Berkshire Hathaway, um, CEO even though he is, uh, he looks like he's on the the stock market and stock market investment. I think he's he's really buying like businesses and stuff like that. And I think he Mm -hmm. he started from, uh, you know, nothing and then build this uh this mega empire so and and i think he's a he's a pretty cool guy and he has a good sense of humor that helps
1: absolutely um if you uh what is one thing that you believe that most people would probably disagree with you on
0: they would disagree with me on <laughs>
1: yes uh well i think i would say okay well
0: one so i sold my uh, my primary residence last year in order to get act, the equity out and invest in rental property. And I'm mm-hmm. currently renting my
1: house. Mm.
0: I think people, I still get uh, messages from people that say that I, I am crazy, that I should not talk about that and not tell anybody that. Because, uh...
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I totally get you. you you've taken... Um... Yeah, I mean, your commitment to your, you know, you wanna be location independent and have the, the passive income, but that is, you're living it in that way. So that's, yeah. that's awesome. Um, talk to us about your morning routine. Like how do you start your day?
0: Uh, so I start my day normally with yoga. So that's, have uh, yoga, and uh, so that kind of helps me kind of uh, focus and uh, get, get me grounded. Uh, mm-hmm. then I have my coffee, then I look at my emails, and uh, that's kind of how I start my day. So I go through my, all my emails, and then, you know, of course they get get interrupted with things that are in my uh, in my calendar. But that's basically how I uh, I run my day.
1: Fantastic, and if if the audience is interested in hearing more about um, the markets you're in outside of Memphis, because you're in four different markets, and and learning more about the turnkey uh, model that you've put together or potentially investing with you, where is the best place they can find you online?
0: Uh, Martel turnkey. Uh, so you can also email me, but martelturnkey.com is, uh, is our website. So that's the best place to reach me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my email is Eric at martelturnkey.com.
1: And I will link all of that in the show notes, guys. If you have any interest in um, starting your own passive income real estate empire, Eric is a great resource to do that. He's got boots on the ground in a lot of different markets and um, is incredibly knowledgeable and is actually stepping up uh, the size of the deals and doing some you know, larger multifamily outside of just the single families as well, which I'm sure exactly. he would be happy to share with you if you connect with him. Thank you so much for being a guest today, for sharing your story. You've, you've definitely um, been someone who has tried, failed and kept trying. And I, and I really respect that uh, work ethic and, and learning from all of that. And you've definitely shared a lot of value with our, with our audience today. So thank you for being on the show.
0: Thank you very much, it was a pleasure.
1: And that wraps it up for today's episode. I hope you guys really enjoyed that conversation with Eric. Uh, I know I sure did. And as you can see, success is not always linear. And I think his story is a great example of someone who's uh, constantly pursuing something he's looking for, uh, not quite finding it, pivoting, refocusing, and then ultimately staying on the course because he knew that's where he wanted to go. If you want to connect with him or learn more about his turnkey business, uh, Turnkey. Dot com. It's down in the show notes, so go find him down there. He's also on LinkedIn under Eric Martel, um, easy to find there. While you're down in the show notes, why don't you take a look for my Calendly link, uh, grab a spot on my calendar so that we can have a conversation, get to know one another a little bit better. And uh, hopefully I can learn a little bit about what is resonating with you in this podcast, how I can make it a better uh, situation and a better uh, learning experience and, and find out what questions I can should continue to ask and add into the conversations and what have you. So uh, look forward to having a conversation with you in the very near future. And until then, this is Hans Strazina host of another way to play signing off and remember to make every chapter better than the last thanks for joining in for this episode of another way to play making the next chapter of your life better than your last for more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap be sure to engage with hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show reach out to hans at chief s-n-a-h on instagram and we'll catch you on the next episode of another way to play we